What's up, family? Uh, my name's Michael McCoy. Uh, I'm a Covenant member. Me and my wife are just blessed to be shepherds of the Red River CG. All right, decent turnout today. Um, I'm going to be reading. Oh, I also serve in the foster care ministry here at the well, as well as in the nursery. Um, and I'm going to be reading today from 1 Peter 4, 1 through 19. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, there are, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even the, to, to those who are dead. That though, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the same spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand, and therefore... Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar that you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you who suffer as a murderer, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in the name. That, uh, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, brother. Priest of God, what's good? Y'all ready? Cool. Let's continue journeying through 1 Peter. Um, we're rounding third base and heading home as next week will actually be our last week in this letter. And so I want to pick it up in a lot of ways where Dre left us, left us off with last week, uh, looking at how we respond to God in a counter society. And so as Peter picked up the theme of suffering two weeks ago, and we looked at how suffering is actually meant to be evangelistic, that when we suffer, it is not just for 
for our own growth or uh, for, uh, uh, you know, our own sanctification. It's actually as a witness to the world around us. In fact, Christ suffered with his eyes towards us. And so we imitate Christ and we also suffer with our eyes towards others as well. This is one of the ways that we serve them. It's one of the ways that people may even come to faith by how we respond to our suffering. And last week, Dre reminded us that we uh, keep our eyes in the midst of our suffering on Christ himself because as we do that, uh, we know that suffering don't last always because we're the children of God, meaning we share with Christ in all things, including suffering. And so question for us, did suffering last forever with Jesus? It wasn't a trick question. No, right? Like, he stomped suffering in the face. He's seated at the right hand of God, meaning we will too if we are truly children of God because we are being made into his image and likeness. So when our eyes are fixed on Christ in the midst of suffering, the Lord actually will bring us out of it just like he brought Christ out of it. And even this week in verse 13, it kind of hints at that, that God makes us so much like his son that one day we will reign with him too. So just as Jesus overcame suffering, so we who believe will overcome suffering as well. And so what Peter is doing is he's saying, listen, we kind of fix our eyes on the future in the midst of the present suffering because Jesus has already in the past secured victory for us. And so this is a future, a present, and a past reality that is all made true in Christ. And we know that all of this is true because of the identity that we have in Christ, which we focused on the first couple of weeks in this series. We are priests or uh, temples. We are Gentiles turned children. And because we are the children of God, we receive the inheritance of God as well. So yes, we are exiles in a strange land, but we are exiles soon going to a beautiful home. And so this week I want to shift just a tiny bit because even though Peter is unbelievably future focused throughout this whole entire letter, he's also a realist as well. We are not there in our soon to be home yet. And so what do we do in the in-between? Because the in-between is a strange season. It's, it's kind of like engagement, you know? That's like the strangest season in a relationship, if you don't know that, okay? Like, right, amen, the married folks said, okay? Like, she or he is, is yours, but not yet. And it will be true, but it isn't true in the current reality. And you wish that you can play the R&B music at midnight, but you're trying to be holy and honor God. <laughs> Right? I know I ain't the only one that struggled, right? It's a strange season, y'all, right? And the same is true for us as Christians. We're in this engagement season. We ain't married to Christ yet, and yet we are engaged knowing that we will be married to him, and that has already been made secure in Christ. And so Christ is already ours, but not yet fully, and we are already home secured, but we are not there yet. We're in the middle. We're in an awkward season. We will be victors. And yet in the midst of this, we still suffer defeat at times. And so what do we do in this in-between? I'm titling today's section, Exiles Creating a Strange Home. Okay, As we're exiles in a strange land, we are also to be exiles creating a strange home in this strange land that will prepare us for the glory that is to come. 
When you're an immigrant uh, in a strange land, often you try to recreate these small colonies within that strange land that remind you of home. And so you may speak the home language in those small little colonies and pockets, your mother tongue, or you might eat the home food that you are used to that this uh, strange land doesn't really provide, or maybe in those small pockets you carry out the, the customs or the practices that you understand for your family. It may seem strange to the nationals whose land you're in, but it isn't strange to you. It's home to you. Well, we're in a strange land, and Peter says we should be creating home here as well. It may seem strange to the world. It should be, okay? Because they can come eat this food with us too if they want to, but we need to be creating something beautiful while we're in this in-between. So I want to start at the end and then kind of sandwich our section together a little bit. Peter in verses 12 through 19 continues this theme of suffering that we've been covering. And he says, if we want to create an alternate society, a land within a land, we have to understand suffering and suffer well. All right, we have to understand suffering, understand why it's going on, and we have to learn how to suffer well. If we do not understand it, verse 12 says, then we are going to be surprised by it. And this surprising experience could lead us away from home because we start thinking that home isn't worth it. And so Peter repeats himself here a lot like a true preacher. Me and Peter would have been email buddies, all right? But there's two reasons why uh, our suffering is important for us to understand. And you can listen to the last two weeks' sermons for more because we've been covering this at large. But I kind of want to hit on two themes that we haven't really hit on yet that is in this section. First of all, we are to understand suffering and suffer well because within suffering, we are being sanctified. That's the first thing there. Sanctified just means made more like Christ, set apart. You are being made holy. Who you you have been created to be. Notice in verse 17, Peter sees this suffering as judgment in a sense. Everyone will suffer because everyone has sinned and sin carries with it consequences. The question is, is suffering leading you to becoming more like Christ or leading you away from Christ? Let me ask that again. Is your suffering leading you to become more like Christ Or is it leading you away from Christ? Either way, suffering ironically serves its purpose, y'all. You know, Jesus in the parable said for many, when suffering comes, then they actually punt their faith and they give up on it all around. And Peter says that judgment begins in the household of God. That's what he's talking about here. And so if you persevere, it actually proves that you are a true believer because people are only willing to suffer for something that they truly believe in. And so suffering then becomes an ironic gift. Are y'all following that logic there? Juan Sanchez, he's a pastor and an author here in Austin, actually, he says this. He says, if you don't have a theology of Christian suffering that is informed by all of Scripture, you will be surprised when you suffer. In the midst of Christian suffering, you will likely ask the wrong questions or give the wrong answers. You will likely feel emotionally confused whenever you may suffer. You may assume that God has abandoned you or is punishing you. You will be angry 
angry and bitter at God. You will be anxious and despondent in your circumstances, and you will probably respond irrationally, blaming God and others. You may even ultimately reject God, Christ, the church, and the Christian faith. Don't think that way or go that way, Peter says. Don't be surprised when you face Christian suffering because God is at work in you and through your suffering to bring you to himself. I know that all of this seems strange in our comfort-laden society, and I tell people all the time, you should not desire suffering. Your desire to avoid suffering is actually a godly desire because you were not created to suffer, and you will be going to a place where there will be suffering no more. But if we suffer and endure, like Christ also suffered and endured, It actually shows that we're truly his because we are being made into his image and likeness. And he was a sufferer who endured because he believed in something that was more than what was right in front of him. We are becoming like him in our suffering. And so in that we should rejoice because it proves our faith and it deepens our faith. It makes a counter-society, a strange home, and a strange but appealing uh, call to the world around us. Because the world around us, when they suffer, it's actually worthless. When we suffer, we know that we are being made more like Jesus, meaning we also know that we will reign with him forever. And so in this, Peter says that we entrust our souls to God while doing good, okay? Like, are are y'all tracking with this train of thought here? Yeah? Let me make it personal. Maybe that will help a little bit. Like, this season has been drastically hard for me, and it's uh, way too long, okay, to go into in a sermon where I only got X number of minutes to preach, and we got another gathering, and blah, blah. I'm tempted to, though, all right? But it's been a hard season, like straight up. And I will say this, though, in the midst of this hard season where I feel like I'm experiencing suffering because of being a Christian, it's not like my sin is creating suffering. Peter says, don't do that right? Like, it's not like there's these other things. It's like, because I'm responding to the call of God, there's actually suffering in my life. And yet at the same time, I can tell you, I've experienced the presence of Christ more clearly in this season. And I can feel myself being made into the image and likeness of Christ. Sin is less appealing. My focus is more laser sharp on the future. There's a blessing in the midst of this burden. And when I am made more like Jesus, I begin to desire my true home more than this home, and that becomes a blessing. And when I persevere in the midst of it, it actually proves to me that I truly believe. And that's what Peter is saying. If you persevere in the midst of suffering, it must be that faith is truly there. And so then it's not necessarily a curse, but it's actually a blessing to prove to you that you're not just chasing the gifts of God and the things that he can give, you're chasing God himself because you have truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so none of us love suffering, okay? Please don't. That's strange. 
all right? Like, dislike it because it will not be where you are going if you're a Christian. It is okay to not like suffering, but we have to understand it and understand what it is doing so that we won't be surprised and in our surprise mistakenly punt the faith or be mad at God when God is actually giving us a gift in the midst of our suffering. Y'all tracking with that? Okay, and so um, it'll be a really strange home in your mind when you do that, and it'll be a really strange home to others, and yet it'll prepare you for the home where you are going to. Peter also says that we should be willing to suffer, not just for our own sanctification, but he repeats himself again. He also says we should be willing to suffer for the sake of others because it becomes a witness to the world around us, not just in service to them, though, like we talked about a few weeks ago, but also in our resolve for Christ and for the kingdom. You know, early Christians who were constantly being persecuted for their faith, they took such heart in this letter, and even around the world right now where persecution is high, if you look at the books of the Bible that people look up from their internet browsers and if they're in persecuted countries, First Peter is one of the main books that they look up. And irony here, it's one of the lower books because we don't like all this suffering talk and I ain't getting a whole lot of amens and I know why right now. We don't enjoy suffering as much, right? And in the West, if we're honest, we've actually experienced a general acceptance from our society that has not really led to the persecution that most Christians have faced throughout human history. We also, as Americans, we avoid suffering like the devil, right? We want nothing to do with it. And most people don't know what to do with it. And we don't even realize that it's unavoidable if we follow Jesus. And so this letter, it may not comfort us as much. However, it could convict us, y'all. Can I poke the bear just a little bit? Like y'all like, yeah, I love that. (laughs) Sinners. I'm just kidding, right? Listen, let me keep it real, okay? We are quick as a Christian society to celebrate something like black lives on Instagram because it is acceptable, but we are slower to mourn abortion rates or the twisted education in schools because it isn't as acceptable in our society. Okay? Like, how are we to be made more like Jesus if the world accepts everything that we say? Now look, I ain't drawing some awkward line in the sand, okay? If you've been at the well, you know what we're about, right? You can go back to the Justice and Mercy series and I'm preaching on race one week and everybody's like, oh, you're just getting caught up in all of this CRT stuff. You didn't even know what that was six months ago. And then the next week I'm preaching on abortion and the other side's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're talking about all this. And then the next week I'm talking about immigration and the next. So as Christians at times, we really don't fit in in society. And listen, y'all, like the world may be right at times even in their thinking about different issues. And so in that we share in the Imago Dei understanding that people are made in the image of God and we celebrate that and even uphold that with them. But the world rejected Jesus, and the world rejected his teachings, meaning the world's likely going to reject you as well. Now, it shouldn't reject us because of our sin. Verse 15 is really clear on that, right? It shouldn't reject you because you're a murderer or a meddler. But he's like, the whole spectrum, that's not why the world should be rejecting you. And the world sometimes rejects the church because we're jerks. 
right? Like at times, the church doesn't respond with the love of Christ the way that we should. But if the world accepts all of your ideas, maybe you're not a stranger in a strange land to this world. Maybe this is your home. And so Peter says, listen, rejoice. When they don't accept you, they didn't accept your Savior either. When he convicted them in their sin, they did not like that and that landed to his crucifixion. And yet, for those of us who have called on the name of Christ, when he convicted us of our sin, we realize our need for a savior and we were drawn to him. You're going to a different home. It's a better home. And so invite others along in the process as well, AKA be about holistic justice, be about holistic righteousness, be about the word of God and let it be what bears truth in our life. Now, can we, once again, keep it real? Why do y'all think Peter is talking about this so much? I want you to think about the person that we're talking about, right? Peter also tried to avoid suffering because he was a Christian, and he tried to avoid it so he can save face. He knows what it's like to not stand on behalf of what he believes in in Christ. You remember when the little slave girl asked Peter if he knew Jesus and he was like, no. And then one of the gospels says that Jesus looked over in that moment and looked at him in the eyes. Like, man, Peter knew what it was like to avoid suffering because he was a Christian. And now he wants us to know that it is better to suffer for being a Christian and receive the reward of our sanctification or Christ-likeness that suffering brings better than that than to blend into the world around you and to not grow in the way that Christ is trying to make you to grow. Y'all feel me? I don't need a caveat anymore, do I? All right, cool. So suffering, it reminds us that this earth is not our home. And their judgment, the world's judgment, is showing us that we likewise are going to be judged by God the same way that Christ was righteous. Christ was judged by the world and is righteous before God. So we too, when we face that persecution as believers, because we're standing for what we know to be true, will likely be justified as righteous by God as well. And so we don't seek this rejection. We love the world. We're in the midst of it. We even appeal to them at times and season our speech with salt. We're not annoying jerks, but this home, this world that we're in, it's not ours, y'all. Take comfort in that. You don't want this to be your home, by the way. It's about as far from heaven as hopefully most of us will ever realize. Secondly, I want to jump backwards, okay? So verses one through seven, Peter talks about suffering and what we do there. And then he goes back and he says, if we want to create a strange home or a land within a land, this home has to look different from the world. And really, in a lot of ways, we have a personal responsibility to do that. We create a strange home by not sinning, okay? That's simple. The second point is don't sin, All right, easy point, third point, I'm just kidding, okay? Now listen, Yusuf did a killer job in week two walking through sanctification and sin. So I'm gonna encourage you to supplement this section with that sermon because I'm gonna fly through this section. But there are two new things that Peter hits on that we didn't really cover that week, so I do wanna cover them here as well and then supplement there, okay? Couple of key things. How do we create home within a home? Well, we kill sin before sin kills us. Okay, somebody is going to die. It's either you or your flesh. 
okay? It's your spirit or your sin. One of them will die. There is a war going on. One will make a home with you like this world that you're in, and one will make a home that looks much more like the kingdom. And I don't know if you've looked around, but the world outside is a hostile home. I'm not sure it's the one you want to create. There are two things in this section to hit from. First of all, you do not have to sin as a Christian. That's the first point here, okay? When Peter says in verse one that we have ceased from sin, what he's saying is you are a new creation. The new you has come, and this new you can choose to walk in the spirit of God and to not gratify the deeds of the flesh. He told these Gentiles to not act like Gentiles anymore, aka don't live like this world is your home anymore because it isn't. You have a new and a better identity walk in that. Peter says, arm yourselves with this way of thinking, which is what Yusuf taught us how to do, gird up the loins of your minds. Y'all remember that little illustration? A man is like, that's the only thing I remember from that sermon, okay? (laughs) Gird up the loins in your mind, okay? Peter then says in verse seven, in light of the end, okay? The end of all things is at hand. In other words, he's saying, this is the last scene of the movie, y'all. So he's not saying the world's going to end really quickly. He's saying once this scene is done, the movie ends. There's not another movie. There's not a sequel. We are at the climax of the movie in that sense, Now, some movies, the climactic structure is like three minutes long and then it ends, but Christopher Nolan movies, it'd be like a 47-minute last scene, okay? Feels like we're a little bit more Christopher Nolan with God than a normal director, all right? We've been in this last scene for a while, but he's saying, listen, this is the last scene. After this, then the end is here. And so he says, we should be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers, When you're sober-minded, you're thinking about the future and true truth or better truth. When you're drunk in your thinking, then your mind is chaotic. There's another way to say that. People who are drunk in their own thoughts, they don't pray, they panic. Yeah? Right? Like they don't intercede, they introspect, and then react. Yeah? I I do that, okay? And so you can't pray when you're not sober-minded, and in that you do not create a home within a home. You think that this home is all that there is, and you freak out and implode. At least I do, okay? Peter tells us that just as it is a sin to be drunk and then to lose control of your will, so it is also to be a sin, it is a sin to be drunk in your mind and lose control of your thinking and your actions that flow from that. When you do this, you forget that there's a better home and you wig out, and that's sin, and sin kills. And so kill sin and pray to the one who can answer it in the process And so Peter is saying, listen, pray. God cares about you. He understands what's going on. Seek the Lord. He can respond. Be sober-minded. And so we suffer well. We kill the sin that would destroy. And then thirdly, we create a home within a home or we build the church family, a literal society within a society. Peter highlights three things that he wants this strange home to be. First of all, he said that this home within a home is above all else 
else to be a place of love, that our love should be what permeates and it should be the main trait about this home within a home. Notice in the text, he tells us to keep loving each other, meaning we have to continue to fight to love and to continue to try to do it. In other words, you will not arrive at loving well. You will have to keep fighting for it your whole life have endurance in the midst of that. In fact, we love earnestly, he says. That word earnest there doesn't connotate an emotional intensity here. It's actually speaking about a love that persists despite difficulties. Now, how do we love like this? What does earnest love look like? How do you know if you're experiencing it in a church family, in a home within a home? Well, Peter could have chosen a bunch of different ways that we should love each other as Christians because there's a ton of examples all throughout the New Testament, but the Holy Spirit, through Peter, unfortunately for us, chose a really difficult one. How do you love? You cover a multitude of sins, or you overlook a multitude of sins. That's how you know you're loving in this way. Now, that isn't to say that we don't take sin seriously. I don't think it's a mistake that Peter places this immediately after urging Christians to be holy for the second time in his letter. And so we call out sin, and we hold each other accountable in our sin. However, we are also patient with each other in the midst of it. There's a lot we could say about this, but let me just ask a very honest question, and I'm not asking this condemningly. I'm, I'm asking it that you would uh, analyze yourself honestly in the midst of this, okay? Do you really, with that definition of love, love anyone except for yourself, okay? Like, I want you to really think about that, because I know that you look, overlook a multitude of sins in your own life, right? Because at times you don't even realize you're in sin and you think you dope. And you don't even realize that you're hurting and offending other people. Or maybe I'm just bemoaning my own life right now. Maybe y'all can't track with that, okay? Like, you forgive you, right? I forgive me. I overlook the sins in my life and desire the grace of God that comes with that. But is there anyone else that would say of you, wow, they have overlooked a multitude of my sin? They dealt with it. They didn't ignore it, okay? But they didn't allow sin to destroy me or to drown me, but dang, they persevered with me as well. Is there anyone like this for you? that they have given you the grace of God in your life over and over and over again. They've overlooked a multitude of sin for you. Has your spouse done that? Do you have friends that do that in your life? Your mama done overlooked a multitude of your sins. I'll tell you that, (laughs) all right? Like, listen, if there's others like this in your life, I wanna give you a practical application. When this gathering is done, text them and say, thank you for putting up with me because this is the love of Christ. Does he not also overlook a multitude of your sin? Even after we follow Jesus, even after we give our lives to him, we sin over and over and over and over and over and over, and I can walk around this stage for the rest of the time talking about how much we sin, and yet he overlooks it because he loves us and he washes us. He sanctifies us. That's part of what suffering is. He doesn't leave us in our sin, but he moves us away from it, yet he perseveres with us in the midst of it. And if you've had people image Christ like that in your life, you should thank them. 
because this is what the church should be as well. What if that was one of the characteristics of the well? When people said the well, they're like, dang, they deal with sin, but they are patient with sinners. They welcome them in, just like Jesus was patient with me. This would create an otherworldly society, unless you haven't realized how quick you get canceled out there. Okay? Part two. All right, I'm running out of time here. Listen, uh, I think Peter here, as he's writing this, let me actually, let me say this. Peter, once again, don't forget who we're talking about. This man failed over and over and over again. Y'all remember that, (laughs) right? Like, think about all the times this man failed, okay? Like, it wasn't just when he denied Jesus, like we just talked about. It wasn't just when he rebuked Jesus for washing his feet and then was like, never mind, wash my whole body, right? It wasn't just when the Lord was like, yo, eat this food, and he says no three times. Knowing he done denied Christ three times not too long before that, can't really get the picture. It's not just when he was racist toward the Gentiles, like we learned about earlier in Galatians. It's not just when he said he won't serve. This man was called Satan by Christ. Get behind me, Satan. Has anybody ever rebuked you like that? I I hope not, all right? Like this man has failed over and over. There's a continual missing the mark. Peter needed his sins covered. He likely experienced the grace of God, y'all. Why do you think he's able to write this? It's probably because he's experienced this. And I hope that you are able to write things like this as well because you've experienced it from our church, from your friends, from your family. Would we love each other so much that we overlook a multitude of sins, okay? Listen, imagine if Peter went unforgiven. You wouldn't have the letter we're talking about here, okay? Secondly, Peter says to show hospitality without grumbling. I I love that, okay? Someone was grumpy in that church, right? It's like, ah, you can stay at my house. You want some water, right? Like, it's like, dang, bro, I'll just sleep outside. It's cool, okay? Listen, we make our homes a home for others. And in this, we create an alternate society. And this is a beautiful thing. So the main idea here, y'all, create space for each other. That's part of the way that we make home within a home. Hospitality is a piece of love because in it, we're inviting people into an oasis in the midst of the desert around us. And Christ is also going to be hospitable to you, is he not? He is going to let you in and he ain't going to grumble about it. He actually wants you there in his presence, okay? Let me give you an example of how hospitality actually blesses like crazy. By a show of hands, okay, throughout your time at the well, uh, how many of you have been blessed by a community group in some way, shape, or form? Would you raise your hands high, okay? Great, praise God, okay? Now, I wanna do this, okay? Uh, If you have been or you are currently a CG host, if you have hosted community groups in your home, would you please stand? Y'all, there we go, I was about to say, I know y'all are in here, I'm looking at y'all, okay? Y'all should thank them right now for aiding your spiritual growth. That's it, y'all can sit down, sorry. <laughs> y'all sat down fast, like, <laughs> okay? Listen, this is a great service, okay? Because in that, there was a home that was made that helped you feel at home and probably influenced your relationship with Christ. This is a beautiful thing. And sometimes we just be rolling up in their house, Rick James in their couch. Don't be doing that, y'all, all right? <laughs> 
Like, honor them, respect them, thank them for being home within a home, okay? The ice storm was another example of that. Half of y'all were not living at y'all's house. You were living at your boy or your girl's house, right? And they were creating home within a home, okay? Thirdly, we create home within a home by serving each other, whether these are public gifts or more private gifts. Peter sort of lumps them all in together as either speaking gifts or serving gifts, which... Can I just say something about that really quickly for, for our church specifically? We tend to create and speak of gifts as if one is greater than the other, but that's never how the word of God talks about it. Let me ask a question. Which of God's characteristics or his personhood, which is better, God's sovereignty or his holiness or his power or his grace? None, <laughs> right? The answer is they are all the same. God is not greater than God. All of them are perfect. And so which of the gifts of God are better? None of them, okay? There are no insignificant gifts because there are no insignificant Christians, Unless we consider Christ's blood and the purchase of an individual and the varied grace that the Holy Spirit pours out onto that individual to be insignificant. If you are thinking that another Christian and their gift is insignificant, then you're thinking that God himself is insignificant and that's blasphemy. Okay? Let me actually apply that a little bit more. If you think of yourself and the gift that God has given you as insignificant... Even though you have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, and if you do not think that you have much to offer the kingdom of God, you are rejecting the varied grace of God. Come on. <laughs> Praise God. Right? And we need that. We need to hear that. Listen, the church is not just built on the talents of the few, but on the sacrifices of many. AKA, you are not insignificant. We need you. Y'all, we need the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. Now, you may not know what your gift is, and that's okay. Practice it and figure it out. You may not have fully cultivated your gift. That's okay. We can grow in the grace of God. You may be overextending your gift, and you think that your gift is more important than somebody else's, like an arm is better than a leg. No, 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 we both need, we're all important in the house of God. You may not even recognize that your gift is spiritual because it seems common, and yet it continually blesses the church in spiritual ways. I want to encourage you that wherever you're at, keep pushing and be involved and keep growing because your gift may seem small, but watch when you throw that little pebble into the still waters of the church, it'll create ripples for the generations to come, y'all. Throw your rock in, throw it in and allow God to nurture and to grow and to bless the church of God through you. We have something significant to give because we have a significant giver to glorify. And so let us use our gifts. This is partly how we create a strange land within an exile land is that we make this place beautiful. And so your contribution, it may be something really simple in this season like presents, or it may be encouragement or finances or rebuke or some sort of skill or some sort of spiritual gift. But the more that you give of the grace that God has given you, the more alive you will come and check a better alternate society do you create for all of us around you? Whatever it is, we need it. And can I have a heart-to-heart -heart real quick too, y'all? I'm over my time, but 
Is that all right, Elder Paul? Yeah. Bless the Lord. Listen, I've been reflecting a lot on this current season uh, of the well and just the chaos of the world around us. And here's one of the things that I am coming to realize in this season. There's been all of this talk of kind of like the old well and who we used to be and the new well and and where we're going and how God is kind of reestablishing a little bit, but also pushing us forward into the future. And there's been suffering even within the well in the midst of the season that we are in. And listen, covenant members, okay, we're about to talk about this a lot in the next few weeks. And some of it will probably leak out in sermons. Some of it will come at the business meeting because there's just a lot to talk about. I feel like I can see what God is doing. But here's one of the things that I'm realizing, okay? Like there are simple things like presence that deeply bless one another. Early on in our church, there was 11 people. And if anybody ever decided not to show up, it like ruined everything because there was only 11 of us, right? So it's like, oh, the only guy who knows how to play guitar ain't here. I guess we ain't doing worship today unless y'all want me singing How Great Is Our God. And every time I sing, y'all don't be singing with me, which shows I can't sing. I know that. (laughs) Anthony and Beth are clapping. I'm I'm walking over here. I'm talking to this side. (laughs) All right. Right? Oh, listen, listen, like, like then as we grew a little bit more, like, man, there was all of this need. And what began to happen was it created this grittiness in the well to where if you were here, you were all in, y'all. And what that created was an ability to plant churches way before most people are able to plant churches in terms of size and finances. And yet we're sending out people because everybody was bought in. And I personally have been bemoaning that we're meeting at 2 and 4 p.m. And then last week in the middle of suffering, I literally thought, oh, if y'all are here, y'all are bought in. Because I don't know about y'all, sometimes I don't want to go to church at 2 and 4 and I'm supposed to preach at this mug. And so it's actually kind of possibly creating a grittiness that we had before and it's kind of regathering like we want to be here and we want to be around each other. And I kind of hear some of the old well, like I don't really fully know new people. And I get that because it was a year and a half where we didn't meet and old people left and new people came. And I believe that God is recreating something beautiful in our church and wants to use your gifts to make much of his name because I still believe in the mission of God that he gave us eight years ago. And I think that the Lord is going to be glorified through that, y'all. And so I want to encourage you to keep fighting for community and fighting for each other. The people that are around you, I think that they're in. I am in. I think we are in. And I think that this creates a beautiful home within a home and that exalts God. It becomes a witness to the world and it makes much of his name. Y'all tracking with that? Okay, that was a long caveat. Let's, let's praise God. Yes. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> okay, let me close our time with this. What is Peter saying in all of this? He says, be willing to suffer because the future is real. All right. He says, be willing to suffer rather than sin because the present matters. And be willing to suffer for the sake of others, even others in the church. Lay down your rights. Build up the church. Sacrifice that Christ might be glorified in this. And you already know who does this best, family. Jesus Christ does. I hope you never tire of that name. 
And I hope you never tire of looking at Christ as our example of our fulfillment, of our atonement, and the power by which we walk in light of this. Jesus was willing to suffer in light of the future. Hebrews 12 says that it was the joy that was set before him or ahead of him that allowed him to endure the cross and despise the same. Jesus looked forward to the future. Jesus was willing to suffer rather than sin, and he rejected Satan himself and picked up his cross, though he was without sin, he was still willing to suffer rather than avoid the will of God and land him into sin. And Jesus was willing to suffer and use his gifts and lay them down that he might build up the church and purchase the church that we might be the people of God, a society within a society that makes much of our King Jesus. And so I want to be that, y'all. I want to be who Christ is making us to be. I want to kill sin and become alive in him. I want to be a church that loves each other absurdly well. And I want to be willing to suffer for the sake of you and you for the sake of others and us for the sake of each other that Christ's name might be exalted. And so listen, I love you guys. I want to sing to that Jesus even right now. And I say this every week, I love y'all. The, sometimes words, I hate preaching because words don't express what's truly in the heart. There's a deep affection that I feel like God has given me, the team, the elders, that I want us to have with each other as well. And so when I say that, man, let's love each other. Let's cover multitudes of sin. Let's make much of Jesus together. Amen? I love y'all. Let's pray. Um. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for scattered sermons. <laughs> I pray that you would take these words and breathe life, Christ. God, I pray for those who they may not know you. They may be stepping in into this society within a society. And friend, I just want to say really simply, ma'am, Earth is a sucky home. And what you're experiencing is not what you were created for. You were created for the kingdom of God. And we get there as we believe in Jesus, as we confess our sin and say, look, I need a savior. I need to follow you. I don't know how to get there. Jesus said, I will show you the way for I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But Christ laid his life down that you might come to the Father. And so even today, you can choose a relationship with God to come into the church family. Look, I know the church is all jacked up. We're sinners too. (laughs) We need that love that covers a multitude of sin, but we're going to a place that's perfect. And Christ has invited you along as well. And God, I pray for all of us who have made that profession, who have said, Jesus, we love you, we trust you, we want to be where you are. I pray that you would give us endurance, God. I I need that. We need that. And so help us to give that to each other. We love you, Christ Jesus. We praise things in your beautiful name. Amen.